Second Corinthians chapter five. I think Second Corinthians chapter five is one of the greatest, one of the most beautiful chapters in all the Bible. There is so much truth, so much. You have to absolutely catch every word, every punctuation, every thought, every clause, and uh, then you got to come back and read it again. But I want to just try to draw a thought out of it this morning. I'll begin reading in verse number 10, if that would be all right, and then you follow along. And uh, I would like to thank all of you who were faithful to our Bible conference. It was a tremendous, tremendous blessing. It was a blessing to see those young men that have surrendered to preach in this church and prepared. Uh, two of them had graduated from our seminary and our school and our church here, and they're preaching machines. Man, I was proud of every one of them. And uh, Dr. House just outdid himself. It don't take much to outdo Dr. House, but he outdid himself. And thank you so very much for being faithful. The Bible says in verse 10 of 2 Corinthians chapter number 5, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now look up here just a minute. Turn to that one right next to you and say, I'll see you there. That's a fact, Jack. For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God. And I trust also are made manifest in your conscience. For we commend not ourselves again unto you, but give you an occasion to glory on our behalf, that ye may have somewhat to answer them, which glory in appearance and not in heart. For whether we be beside ourselves, it is to God, or whether we be sober, it is for your cause. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which should live, not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. It's a beautiful truth. Amen. Wherefore henceforth know we no man after the flesh, Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. In other words, we come to church today not looking for a manger, but thinking about a throne. We didn't come to church this morning to worship a baby. We came to worship a resurrected Savior. We know him no more in the human realm, we know him as deity, as king of kings and lord of lords. 
Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. To whom that God was in Christ, or to wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. I would like for just a moment to draw your attention to verse number 18. And what I'd like to ask you a question. What are you doing in your ministry? The Bible says, and all things are of God. Does anybody believe that? In other words, you're not an accident. You're not one of God's children by your choice, but one of God's children by his choice. All things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry. Are you an us? Are you an Ewan's? And preacher, how's your ministry going? How's yours? What are you doing since you've been redeemed? Uh, what are you doing as a result of you being reconciled back into the good graces of God? And hath given unto us the ministry of reconciliation. Father, today we need your help. I, I want to be plain, but I want to be uh, courteous. I want to be kind. I want to be encouraging and uplifting. And Father, if this world goes to hell in a handbasket, it'll not be your fault. You paid the price. And Christians has been saved, redeemed, reconciled. And Lord, now it's no longer your ministry, but it's our ministry. It's no longer your responsibility to win the loss, to encourage those who are fallen, but it's our responsibility. 
And I pray, Lord, today, not only as we look at the responsibility, we look at the great privilege of being an ambassador for heaven, a spokesman for the King of kings and Lord of lords, an example for others to see that this world's not our home. We're just passing through. So Lord, help us today, if you would please, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Is anybody here happy already? What is the ministry of the Christian? You and I who have been redeemed. What is our ministry? Could I please suggest you twofold? Verse 11 and verse 20. In your Bible, verse 11, the Bible says, Therefore, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. It is our ministry on this earth to persuade those who's in rebellion against God, who is on their way to hell, who's living without the hope and the help and provision of God, it is your and my ministry to persuade them there is a better way than the way that they're going. It is your and our responsibility to God, calling of God, and, and, and ministry of God to persuade men that hell is really hell. At heaven is real. The Holy Spirit is real. God is real. The Bible's real. And it's mine and your responsibility to persuade men. That is your ministry. How are you doing? We wonder why we have as much trouble. And we're our own trouble. We worry so much about us, we don't have time to persuade men. Notice also verse 20, what is the ministry of the Christian? I bet you thought God just saved you so you could decorate the church auditorium. I bet you thought that you were so beautiful and so encouraging that you, by just showing up, are fulfilling God's will in your life. <laughs> Why did God save you? That you might be instrumental in persuading men. The children that's in your care. The in-laws that used to be outlaws. Who is going to persuade them that there is a better way? That God is real. That you can be happy. That you can be fulfilled. One, it's our responsibility and ministry to persuade men. Secondly, verse 20, watch this. The Bible says in your Bible, 
Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. We are to represent Christ in a society that knows not Christ. We are to represent peace in a world that's filled with hate and fear and anger. We're to represent Christ in a political world that's going to rise, has it not? I mean, if there was as much on television about Christ as there is Trump, we could save the whole world in 30 minutes. But this world does not want to hear good. This world does not want to hear uh, righteousness. This world is in direct rebellion against God. So God has reconciled you and I to himself implanted in us the Holy Spirit of God, given us a song to sing, and you and I are to impress others with what we have and to represent Christ to a fallen, hell-going world. I just thought maybe I'd stop by today and talk to you a little bit about uh, the ministry. There's an old cliche that I heard years ago. It's easy to lose sight of the forest for all the trees. In our busy, busy schedule and endless activities, it is sometimes difficult to stay focused on really what is important. How many of us this week have focused on things that's gone and does not mean one thing for eternity. Well, he's this and she's that and the kids are a brat. And I know my son got some bratty kids. They learned from my daughter's bratty kids. And they all learn from grandma. That's the problem in society. Grandmothers is the problem in society. Could I help you now, please? It is difficult for a Christian living in this world to stay focused on really what is important. I'm not saying that all we do is unimportant. I'm just saying we leave the important for the less important. And I'm just saying in this busy world, it's that way. But Paul, it seems like as you read his writings in the New Testament, Paul was actively involved, notice, in doing the right thing at the right time, in the right way. Could I ask you this morning, do we not get sidetracked occasionally? Could I please ask you a question? And the kids, young folk, I want you to, I want you to stay alert for just a minute. Is it right to devise a carnal way to accomplish a spiritual ending. Is it right to devise a carnal way to accomplish 
a spiritual ending. I know they're not married, but as good a Christian as I am, when I date them, they'll get saved for sure after we get married. (laughs) Now, I know that fella is not a Christian, but if I go into business with him, my expertise and my Christian stand will sway him to the cause of Christ and the business will become God-honoring. There was an old man in the Bible. He's about a hundred when he had this boy. But as much earlier, God told him, I'm going to give you an Sarah, son. And his seed shall be as numerous as the stars in the sky, as numerous as the sand on the beaches of the oceans of the world. And time went on, and time went on, and that didn't happen. So Sarah, the wife, And Abraham, the father, devised their own solution to God's problem. Sarah could not have a child. She was barren, but she just happened to have a handmaid by the name of Hagar. And since God is crippled and God can't take care of this thing, Sarah went to Abe and said, Abe, I've got a great idea. Let's help God out a little bit. After all, you know, he's not sufficient. So Abraham, I'm going to give you Hagar to be your wife, that's two. And you and Hagar help God out a little and give us that son that God promised us we could have. A carnal means to accomplish a spiritual end. Have you heard anything lately about terrorism? You remember the Twin Towers? You remember the plane into the Pentagon? Oh, that's Ishmael's kinfolk. That's the end to a carnal means trying to accomplish a spiritual end. Now, if it didn't turn out too good for God and too good for Abe, how's it going to turn out for you? Well, I got my own plans. Really? Well, they're working out pretty good. Yeah, but God don't settle the books in October every year. 
Could I ask you a question? Would it be better for us to do God's will, God's way, in God's time, exactly how God told us to do it? Or maybe, instead of us getting out of the hog pen, we can bring daddy to the hog pen and all of us worship God together in the hog pen. What's wrong? After all, we like the music of the hog pen. We listen to the music in the hog pen. Let us not do it God's way. Let's use some carnal means to accomplish a spiritual end and we can all get in the hog pen and listen to hog pen music and hallelujah a little bit. You say, I didn't come for this. You got more than you paid for then, didn't you? You parents... My kids can handle that music. My kid's a good enough Christian to walk with that kind of heathen kid. Then parties won't bother my kids. I'm just wondering today if maybe we started using the hog pen methods the hog pen message and, and the hog pen means if maybe we could camouflage the sign and say it's a church when really it might be a hog pen. It's quiet, ain't it? One thing about Paul, he always did the right thing the right way at the right time. And you can't cut it short without it biting you by and by. I just thought I'd drop by for a while this morning and tell you sometimes it might be difficult getting ahead of God. Asked Moses. He was only 40 years too early trying to deliver God's people. 40 years on the backside of the desert. Now, many of God's people today is living on the backside of the desert, satisfied with what the hog pen has to offer, all because we're doing our own thing, our own way. In our own time. I do not say this to anger you. I say this to wake you up. Because we shall all appear for the before the judgment seat of Christ. Can I please help you just a little bit? It would be nice, I think. And I, I was just thinking about it. 
Wouldn't it be nice to honor God without dishonoring the world? See, you can't honor both of them. Hmm? You and I are not going to back into heaven. You know, I read a story recently about a little shepherd boy by the name of David. Any of you folk remember that guy? Wonder why he didn't use Saul's armor. I wonder maybe if there's a possibility that we're trying to use new methodology to kill old-time Goliaths. If we're not careful, listen to me, we'll forget about the God who slew the lion and the bear and try to use Saul's armor to take care of this world's problems, only end up in defeat in the Valley of Elam. And look at the church. Powerless, empty on Sunday night. Do you always have a good excuse? Well, I hope I'm out back when we all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Because the Bible said, I'll have to give an account for you when you get there. And what should I say to the Lord when the Lord looks at you and say, three, week, three services a week was too much for you, huh? What about that preacher? I say, Lord, I think, just pass that on by. We shall all stand. You say, you're going to make me mad and I'm not coming back. Well, you're only coming once a week now. I want to help you a little bit now. Verse 18, look at this. Look at this. God's real purpose. Verse 18. And all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. Do you remember the day the week, the month, the year before you got saved. Remember how you were living. Remember what you were thinking. Remember what you were saying. But here's the best part about it. You were alienated from God. You had been expelled spiritually from the presence of God. And one day somebody showed you and told you that Jesus Christ died for you on an old rugged cross. And that if you would be saved and receive him, God would receive you back into a relationship with him. You don't know how it happened. You have no explanation how it happened. But 50 years ago on my knees, I slid off my couch on my way to hell and stood up a child of God on my way to heaven. And it made a difference in my life. Look at verse 17. If any man be in Christ, he's what? Yes, sir, buddy. I knelt a sinner and stood up a saint. 
I stand, I knelt as a hell-bound child of the devil and stood up a heaven-bound child of the king. God did all of that in, look at your verse, in Jesus Christ. Reconciliation. Yes, I've been reconciled. You say, preacher, what's that? Well, now, there's another word you could use. It's called imputation. I've got some money I need to deposit in the bank. An imputation is a banking term used when you go down to the bank and you put some money at the cashier there. You got a deposit slip and you slide it in there. They hit the computer and bang, that money is deposited to your account. Understand? Imputed to your account. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, all of my and your sins was imputed and deposited on him at Calvary. Ever stinking one of them. Yesterday, today, and tomorrow's sins were placed, imputed on him. And when that was reputed on him, the sins of the world was placed on him. The righteousness of God was placed to your account. That's imputation. You have no right to your own life. No, Sunday night is not yours. No, Wednesday night is not yours. You said, I'll show you. No, you won't show anybody. For every one of us will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and answer to God for what we've done with our ministry. Verse 18. God's not going to ask you what kind of plumber you are. God's not going to ask you what kind of contractor you are. God's not going to ask you kids how good you are on your computer. God's going to ask you, what did you do with your ministry of persuading people to be saved and Representing our Lord as an ambassador on this earth. You understand that? You say, preacher, I'm getting mad at you. Well, I'll, I brought some baby aspirins to church with me. Now, this is half of the introduction and I'm going to close. What's this? Romans chapter 9. In Romans chapter 10, we see the heart, we see the soul, we see the very inside of this great apostle that's right in you and I to encourage us to do the best we can to persuade men, the best we can to be ambassadors for Christ. Notice, if you would please, in verse 1, 
of chapter 9. The Bible says, I say the truth in Christ. I lie not. My conscience bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost. Listen now. That I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish that myself were a curse from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh. Can you, can you feel the passion? If by the eyes of faith we could look and see Paul, we could see tears running down his cheek. I have continual heaviness and sorrow in my heart. If I could wish that myself were accursed, he said, if it could so be, I would allow God to kick me out of heaven. And if there's a bus headed for hell tomorrow, I'll take the front seat. If God would just save my kinfolk. Are we missing something? Chapter 10, verse 1, brethren. My heart's desire to God for Israel is that they might What's the rest of it? Be saved. Paul said, therefore, knowing the terror of the Lord, the terror of the Lord, the word terror just merely means fear. Knowing the terror of the Lord, I persuade men. My Bible said one time, he that goeth forth weeping, Bearing precious seed shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing their sheaves with them. Have we missed something? I said, have we missed something? I've always found that if I've got my heart and my mind and my prayers Involved in other people's hurts and sorrows, I have a lot less of my own to contend with. Now, preacher, you're getting old. You need to take care of yourself. You mean I need to quit like you have? You mean I need to quit preaching, quit witnessing, quit praying, quit reading, quit studying, quit growing for God? Oh, maybe I should hire somebody else to be my ambassador. No. No. Preacher, what keeps you going? I read a verse. It says, For the love of Christ constraineth us. Not the love for Christ, 
but the love of Christ. When I think of how he came so far from glory, hmm, came to say a sinner such as I to offer all he's given, all he's done for me, all he's done for you. Would you consider your ministry once again? And the best you know how with what you have that God has given you begin to persuade men to be reconciled unto God. Would you enlist again as an ambassador for Christ? You say, I don't know what to say. Verse 21 and I'm done. For he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That's your message. You don't need to know the Roman road. You don't need to know the Jericho road. You don't need to know the Joshua road. Just use Jesus' road. Let me tell you about somebody who knew no sin and became sin for us that we who are sinful might be made the righteousness of God in him. And all of God's people said, Pretty good for introduction.